You're listening to Age of Reason, brought to you by Frozen Frame Productions. Will we ever understand this complex genius, this visionary thinker? Will we ever get this close again? Uniting the forces of our universe. Hey everyone, and welcome to Age of Reason. Today is episode 43, it's March 22nd, 2019. And today I thought I would take the opportunity to talk about the Green New Deal, the bogus 93 trillion figure that's been floating around on the internet. And um, just going to touch upon Diane Feinstein as well's comments and why, in my opinion, we should not listen to just somebody who is rich. I mean, rich is not a qualification. Um, great that they're rich, but I, I want more substance. I need something there. Okay, so why I'm talking about this is because um, a couple of shows ago, somebody left a comment on my page, and uh, basically that's what they said. So they, they laughed, of course, everybody laughs at me uh, because I suggested that Fox News is not a good source of information like don't quote Fox News actually okay let's let's be even more straightforward here if you're a Fox News person like if you're following Fox News religiously what the fuck are you doing on a page called Age of Reason please explain that to me because reason is not on your end Fox News has a very very low percentage of truth in it and definitely a horrible source. So, no, I recommend multiple sources. Don't read just one thing. Read many things. And you'll find out that sometimes you read one thing and then the same exact thing is copied elsewhere. So that just tells me that it's not properly reported on. It's, it's, it's very lazy journalist work. Uh, no, nothing was written. It's just copy-pasted from one place to another. So anyway, yeah, I don't go with that. So what, you suggest BuzzFeed? Better tell Feinstein, apparently she thinks it's outrageously costly too. Okay, so I have a problem with her and let's let's talk about that. So this one article talks about her and it says, but the episode was also a reminder of the peril of wealth inequality in politics with Feinstein. One of the very wealthiest members of Congress having a personal financial stake in industries whose bottom lines would be threatened by the measures in the Green New Deal resolution. So, so that's why she opposes that. It's because it will hurt her wallet. Like, come on, she doesn't care about America. These people, the majority of people in our government right now only care about enriching themselves. That's unfortunate, but it's the sad reality. Feinstein, whose net worth stands at $85.5 million. Can you just, like, figure this for a moment? $58.5 million. I wish I had even $1 million, let alone 58. She has been married for nearly 40 years to Richard C. Blum, a wealthy investor who still runs private equity firm. Uh, he founded in 1975, Richard C. Blum and Associates, Inc., uh, the recent financial annual report filed in May 2018, so it is a year ago, and covering the 2017 calendar year, Bloom owns 
or Blum, I don't know how to pronounce his name actually. Uh, 100% of Yosemite uh, Investments LLC, through which he has hundreds of thousands of dollars invested in several fossil fuel companies. Well, of course, of course, what else do you expect, honestly? Some of which he has sold off since the Green New Deal began gaining increasing national attention. According to an amendment filed in January, Blum in August 2017 invested more than $1 million in the Osterweiss Strategic Income Fund, a mutual fund run by investment firm Osterweiss Capital Management. So among the holdings, uh, there is a subsidiary of Methanol Producer Consolidated Energy Limited, a subsidiary of Commercial Aircraft Laser Aviation PLC, and the mining company Tech Resources which holds interests in a number of different oil sand projects across the border in Canada, including the controversial frontier projects. So these guys, okay, they have a bunch of investments everywhere, including fossil fuel industries. And do you think the fossil fuel industry just takes the money and doesn't ask for anything in return? Come on, if you really think that, you're an extremely naive person. In the annual report covering 2017, Blum reported having over $50,000 invested in Antero Midstream Partners, which owns and operates infrastructure for natural gas and natural gas liquid production. Well, of course. Again, it's absolutely obvious uh, where the corruption is coming from. Uh, transaction reports filed in 2018 and this year shows Blum has made major investments in Antero Midstream GP. The two companies are expected to finalize a merger, blah, blah, blah. Uh, all these companies could, this is important, that's the important bit here, all of these companies could potentially be impacted by measures proposed in the Green New Deal, such as creating nationwide high-speed rail network, transitioning to a fully renewable energy grid, and shifting to electric vehicles. So they don't want you to have these nice things. They don't want you to have that because it hurts their wallet. That's the reason why. So they don't want a high-speed rail network. They don't want to transition to renewable energy because they have investment in fossil fuel companies. Therefore, it tells me, in conclusion, that Diane Feinstein or Feinstein, whoever you say her name, or her husband, are not going to tell me the truth. So no, I don't listen to her. I don't have to. Sorry, but being rich is not a qualification. She has a Bachelor of Arts in History. So she doesn't... What? That's not science. That's history. You know, my, my father is a history buff. He knows some stuff in great detail. But does he know science, though? No. Not really. Not, not beyond what is in the articles out there. So you have to look at the source of information. That's very important. Okay, so again, the second comment these guys left on my video last time. Uh, and this, by the way, is everywhere right now, okay? This is not just him, uh, but again, this is from Fox News, which is why I complain about it. And this is a classic thing that they're pushing, is that the Green New Deal is going to cost up to $93 trillion. They don't even say over how long. It's just $93 trillion. That's enough to scare people. It's scare tactics, again. It's, it's like they just uh, scream, socialism! And it's supposed to like just scare the population. And guess what? It fucking does. It works. Because most of the people then start um, comparing very strange things about socialism. So it, it works. Propaganda works. Uh, propaganda in the US uh, works extremely well.
It's a well-oiled machine. Republicans claimed the Green New Deal would cost $93, uh, $93, that would be, I could, I could pay for that, $93 trillion, a number that would dwarf the combined economic output of every nation on Earth. However, as the article points out, and this is from Politico, uh, the figure is bogus. The number originated with a number uh, with a report by a conservative think tank, Ameri American American, man, America, America all the way, American Action Forum that made huge assumptions about how Democrats would implement their plan, but the figure does not appear anywhere in the think tank's report. And the president, D Douglas Holtz Ekin, confessed he has no idea how much the Green New Deal would cost. So this is a figure that was basically just invented, and then they pushed it. Look, you just have to watch House of Cards. Uh, they, they create a, a stupid narrative. They tell other politicians to repeat it, and then they all go to news networks everywhere, and they just spout that nonsense. That's how it works. The Green New Deal isn't even a, a plan yet. At the moment, it's a non-binding resolution that calls for major action to stop greenhouse gas pollution while reducing income inequality and creating millions of good, high-wage jobs. But top Republicans have embraced the price tag, using it to argue that the climate plan would bankrupt the United States. So again, fear tactics 101. That's all it is. To come up with the 93... That's actually a mistake here, because it should say trillion. But anyway, even the, these people get confused about it. Everybody is. So to come up with the total, the Republicans added together the cost estimates uh, from the report's authors had placed on barrier, various aspects of a Green New Deal platform. Most of those were based on assumptions about universal health care and jobs program that, rather than the cost of transitioning to carbon-free electricity. Green New Deal supporters acknowledge that their preferred policies won't be free. So again, nobody is di disputing that fact. Of course, we understand that we're going to have to pay something. But uh, the cost of inaction uh, to climate change is much higher than the cost of action. Because if you think about it, if cities go underwater, uh, like New York, uh, you know, Miami, uh, that is going to cost a lot more than trying to do something right now to keep people living there and maybe try to save their homes somehow. Although, as we saw in the floods in Nebraska, uh, you, I don't know. How do you stop water, really? It, water seeps everywhere. They say Republicans are acting in bad faith by painting the resolution with a specific brush so early and refusing to acknowledge that unchecked climate change poses its own economic risks. For instance, a UN report last fall estimates a global cost of $69 trillion, still lower than $93 trillion, yeah, with even a modest rise in global um, temperatures. There's always been the crux of the Republican argument against making all these changes, said Rory Cooper, a Republican strategist and managing director at Purple Strategies, a bipartisan consulting firm. It's uh, significant lifestyle changes in exchange for an undefined benefit. So, again, you have to understand, Republicans, they don't even, like, accept the science of that. So, what, what it tells me here is that they say undefined benefit, but we know the defined benefits. Well, first of all, you don't get flooded. You're not going to go, you're not going to have huge 
metropolitan cities around the world going underwater. That's already a huge benefit. Secondly, uh, the pollution. We, we have to absolutely cut down on the CO2 out there. People who live very close to uh, carbon plants, they, they get respiratory diseases, um, quite severe ones. We have problems with, with water as well. Um, it's, it's all pollution. We dump all of that into the ocean as well. So there are benefits. Yeah, the benefits is to actually have a society of the future, which is clean. I complain in the, even in Japan, because Japan is portrayed... Before you come to Japan, I don't know, maybe you find some information on it, and you see everything is clean, and... You know, everything looks like kind of sparkly and shiny, but you come here and you find trash, well, in many places where it really shouldn't be. You, you got a lot of punks here, and they just toss bottles away, they, they leave plastic bags outside. Uh, I don't know how you can be a human being like that. I was brought up to not do this shit. But people do it. Without any consequences. So, you want to see a clean city, like a big city that is actually clean? Uh, go to Taipei in Taiwan. I, I went there for a week, and it's true, it's not much time perhaps, but just... Just to see, I tried to look for, for garbage in the street, and I couldn't find any. I, I, I went to some places where I was sure I was going to find something. And even in those places, I didn't find anything at all. So, it is possible, and it comes down to personal responsibility. That's all. Pretty simple. Just don't throw your shit outside. It should be, like, just common sense. Democrats dismissed the study as a fabrication, and on Wednesday, as the Republican senators railed on the floor about the 93 trillion estimate and the dangers of socialism, of course, socialism, boo, scary. Several Democrats interrupted them to demand that the GOP acknowledge the reality of climate change. That's a completely made up number by the Koch brothers, Markey, who co-sponsored the 2009 cap and trade bill, said. Um, I don't care if it's 93 trillion, 43 or 10 trillion. It is unsustainable, a, senator, a Republican senator Tillis shot back. We can sit here and question the sources, but at the end of the day, we all know that this was theater. And unfortunately, I'm, I'm just going to come back to this in a second. Um, so people like Stan Douglas here, who, you know, uh, portray this article as a fact, uh, all they are doing is that they are being what we call useful idiots. They push a narrative that is wrong and they're acting on the behest of the big corporations, the fossil fuel industries out there. So these guys usually spend money to confuse people and then you got morons like that who do it for them for absolutely free. Useful idiots. Okay, let me just get back to this one. So this guy, Tillis, said that uh, we, you know, it's unsustainable, we can't pay for that. And I always laugh at that when politicians say that, because let's look actually what, at what we can pay for. Just let me move over a little bit here. Well, let's look at this. And I don't know, this is from when, because there's no date here. There's no, no source, unfortunately, but it's actually fairly accurate. I know that just by looking at the numbers. So Social Security is a quarter of the budget. 
uh, Medicare and Medicaid, uh, just over a quarter of the budget. So already these two huge things, over 50% of the budget. Uh, defense, 17%. And then the rest is actually very, very tiny. You look at, okay, let's, let's just look at some of them here. So you have general science, space and technology, 0.8%. So like NASA is in there, okay? And NASA gets almost very little funding these days, especially. So that, that, that tiny slice there, that purple slice, that's what they get. And by the way, the defense budget doesn't include the nukes because the nukes are in the uh, electric department. So actually the defense is higher than the 17% that they write here. What else we have here? Um, so we have the uh, education, training, and employment. It's 2.6% uh, of the budget. National resources and the environment, 1% of the budget. And of course, transportation, 2.4, etc. Uh, also, we can afford private prisons. That's fine. Uh, we can afford endless wars, apparently. Yeah, because again, you know, you, you have to understand the mentality of the average American. Uh, these people just don't care about any of that, okay? This is not important to them at all. And A, if it takes, if it, if it takes us to go to the Middle East and kill some brown-skinned people... One million, two million, three million, it doesn't matter for them at all. They'll still, you know, fly the American flag proudly and uh, take selfies with their guns. That's what matters to them. That's all. So let's talk about the Green New Deal in a bit more detail. And of course, there isn't much uh, because like it's the articles before said, it's still very much in a work in progress. So... Uh, this is uh, an article, the, art, the title is One Climate Scientist's View from the Other Side of the Atlantic. So this guy says, I was one of the authors of the IPCC uh, report on the 1.5 degrees, widely cited as saying we have 12 years before we reach 1.5 degrees Celsius if we fail to act now. Or on your side, it's uh, 2.7 Fahrenheit. Uh, this is often conflated as we have 12 years to act if a warming of 1.5 degrees Celsius is to be avoided. Both sound bites are misleading in potentially dangerous ways. So we've seen that article, I've seen the article. This guy says it's not so. What our report actually said was that global warming has reached 1 degree Celsius, uh, plus or minus 2 tenths of a degree, increasing at 0.2 plus or minus 0.1 degrees Celsius per decade, and would likely reach 1.5 degrees Celsius sometime between 2030 and 2050 if the current rate of global warming continues. And this is actually a very optimistic part of this article because he says the fastest rate at which emissions decline in all current computer models, so again, we're talking about computer model, not exactly reality, of the global economy is around 2 billion tons of carbon dioxide, 2 gigatons of carbon dioxide per year, per year. Yes, you read that right. It's a deceleration. So it's a per year, per year. Uh, try to make annual carbon emissions decline faster than that, and the models just can't keep the lights on. Yeah, but that's very, very optimistic. Uh, I in, uh, in a couple of shows ago, I, I said that the emissions in 2018 actually increased. So yeah, we were kind of 
stable and then 2018 we went up again so you have to adjust your model then Consequently, given the current emissions are over 40 gigatons of carbon dioxide per year, it would take more than 20 years to reach net zero, even if we start reductions immediately. Uh, longer, because the pace of reductions is expected to slow once we have dealt with the easy stuff. And because carbon dioxide accumulates in the climate system like lead in the bloodstream, warming will continue at least until net global carbon dioxide emissions reach zero. I talked about that on the previous shows as well. It's all covered already. So imagine we get to 2022, midway through the next US presidential term, uh, global emissions still haven't peaked and it is clear that there is no way of having them by 2030. Yeah, I saw this one article actually. They were very optimistic. They were uh, talking about what if we reduce all the emissions to zero by 2030? And I said, that's absolutely impossible. I, I wish that's real. I wish it's possible. But it's absolutely impossible. Will it be then too late to prevent a catastrophe? It all depends what you mean by a catastrophe. It might well be too late to limit the warming to 1.5, uh, but there will be plenty of time, uh, plenty of things left worth saving. The danger with the word catastrophe is that it's finality. Once catastrophe is inevitable, there seems little point in doing anything about it. So what would I do? As Benjamin Franklin put it, any fool can criticize, condemn, and complain. And most fools do. I would like to see politicians debate something more clearly focused on climate change, while the Green New Deal packages climate action with a host of other initiatives like universal health care and employment. While these are worthy causes and maybe good politics, their presence make it all too easy for its detractors to oppose the Green New Deal without addressing the fundamental climate issue, which, after all, is supposed to be its very reason for being. Yeah, but I, I disagree with that. I think it's good that they're mixing that together because people, uh, you know, so again, you have to understand the mentality of the average human being. It's, it's a person who can barely tie up his shoelaces, okay? So you're asking that person to do something very complex in life. They can't do it. They don't know how to do it. So I'm... I'm actually for that they're mixing these things together because it gives people a clear image. So, okay, we have a green economy, so that's going to make more jobs and it's going to increase, uh, improve, I should say, uh, our general health. I think that's good. Why, why would you omit any of that? Environmentalists might worry that this only addresses fossil fuel emissions. What about emissions from agriculture, refrigerants, and so on? And I agree, that's a, that's a very good point indeed. We, we, we focus about the industrial pollution, but what about the agricultural pollution? What about the refrigerants, etc.? Indeed. I accept that this wouldn't solve all aspects of global environmental change, and it certainly wouldn't address healthcare or inequality. But if the United States was to lead on this and the rest of the world were to follow, this would only solve the problem of climate change caused by fossil fuel, carbon dioxide emissions. I'll take that. Yeah, you have to start somewhere. Look, you, you're not going to find any presidential candidate out there who's this kind of per perfect being, okay? We all, we, some people like complain about Bernie. They don't like one thing about him. So they like everything, but they don't like this one little thing there. And they focus on that one little thing. And then this one little thing becomes the main issue actually you're not going to find a perfect human being so 
you have to find the least shitty human being, I guess. So we're not going to have a perfect solution from the get-go, but we have to start somewhere. Uh, the article ends. One final point from a fractious country on uh, the far side of the pond. The United States did not get to the moon by starting with a 14-page plan. Kennedy set out the destination and the deadline and left it to the collective genius of American enterprise and public servants to work out how to get there. You can do it again. Well, again, optimistic. Uh, maybe it's true. I don't know. Um, I don't know if people today have the spirit of uh, people uh, that were really pushing for things in the 60s or the, or the 70s. So I, I don't know. That remain, remains to be seen. Um, what is important here as well is to mention that a lot of this issue is to do with generational divide. Just like Brexit, a lot of the Brexiteers uh, who voted to leave were primarily old people and the young people primarily voted to stay in the union. So it is really a generational gap there. And, and it seems to me that in America we're seeing the same thing, but it's just related to climate change. Anyway, we'll have to see what happens. Uh, some parts here are very optimistic. Uh, we'll have to see how it all pans out. Um, on that note, I'm going to end the show here. Uh, thanks for watching. And if you like it, subscribe to my channel. Please check out my book on Amazon, Beyond the Obscure. The links are in the description. Uh, please check out my art on Redbubble as well. Get yourself a poster. It will help me. And it's all good stuff. Anyway, on that note, uh, thanks for watching again. And I will catch you next week.